1: If I had to use one word to describe Jordan Weissman's take on Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package, the word I'd use is giddy.
2: Yeah, I mean there's a lot. It's it's <laughs> it's it, you know, it's the turkey and all the trimmings.
1: Jordan covers the economy for slate. He's been pushing Democrats to consider some of the more progressive measures bundled into this legislation, like a higher minimum wage, for months at this point. And he's giddy, not just because of what's in this proposed bill, but because it seems like some version of it actually might pass. Is the palpable shift the Democrats just seem to be kind of feeling themselves right now? A little bit, yeah. It's pretty easy to feel good when you're the party in power, but it's also an adjustment. Watching Washington debate this stimulus, it's a little like watching dancers trying to remember the choreography of bipartisanship. A little stilted, a little formal. A group of 10 Republicans sent President Biden a letter with their counteroffer to his legislation. And within a day, Biden issued an invitation to the group. They masked up and joined him in the Oval Office.
2: And he was sort of like, eh. I think they came out and they said we had a frank and cordial conversation, which is kind of, that's actually a, a contradiction in D.C. euphemisms, right? Usually when you have a frank <laughs> conversation, it's not cordial. And if you have a cordial conversation, it's a little icy, but it's not very frank. Uh, frank and cordial was an interesting combo. But <laughs> it seems that Biden told them that he didn't really feel like compromising significantly on the size of a bill that he thought was necessary to take care of the country's needs.
1: Today on the show, President Biden might not be ready to compromise with Republicans. Not yet. But there are plenty of treacherous negotiations ahead. So if these stimulus talks are a dance, who is Joe Biden partnered up with for now? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's just start off with some basics about what is in this bill.
2: So, I mean, some parts of it are just very meat and potatoes, um, pandemic response, Economic relief, and it's a lot of money because they're trying to they're trying to make sure there's economic relief that will last long enough to deal with this crisis. That we aren't just hopping from you know kind of cliff to cliff as we have been uh, for the past year, and as we were under the Trump administration.
1: And this bill kind of it'll carry folks through the fall.
2: That's that's kind of the idea, right? When 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 Congress passed its compromise nine hundred billion dollar bill in in December. What I wrote then was that this was really a piece of legislation that was a bridge to the spring, right? Like, the unemployment benefits ran out in March, for instance. The idea was that once we really had the vaccination program going by the spring, you know, things would be better and we wouldn't have to worry as much about supporting people. And uh, it's kind of taken a while to get that whole vaccine thing rolling, it turns out. So. This bill is meant to to push us much further along into the recovery process. For instance, um, it would provide slightly larger unemployment benefits, an extra $400 a week as opposed to $300 um, through September, right? It tops off the economic impact payments, the checks that people got to $2,000. You get an extra $1,400 per person. Um, it provides money for state and local governments that have uh, had their budgets just thrashed by this pandemic.
1: And it also sneaks in these kind of bigger goals of Democrats, right? Like the $15 minimum wage.
2: Yes, it does. These are the trends, definitely, right? Like if state and local aid and unemployment insurance are the deep fried turkey, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the $15 minimum wage is sort of the the green bean casserole, right? Everyone loves green bean casserole. Thanks. Well, I love green bean casserole. I don't know about everybody, but <laughs> I would like it on the menu. Um, is it an absolute essential to pandemic response, maybe not, but it's a long term goal. And it's something that Biden uh, campaigned on, and that many Democrats have said is a central goal of their agenda in the coming years. Um, There's another policy in there that's really, really interesting. That's sort of pandemic response, but also kind of the beginning of it's sort of a a teaser for a big long term policy goal. They want to, um, they want to increase the size of the child tax credit, and make it what, and make it fully refundable, which is this awful Washington E's way of saying that they're going to give it to poor people, even if they don't make any money, right? It's it, instead of being a tax credit, it's more like just a cash payment. Um, and so, what it really does is creates a minimum income for children. Um, and they would do this for one year. And the idea of it is that because of the way it's structured, it targets lower income families a little bit better than the checks. Because the
1: checks are sort of just going out to a lot of different people, regardless of their circumstance.
2: Exactly. I mean, there's some means testing on the checks, too, right? Biden would phase them out for couples that make more than $150,000, but they go to the vast majority of the country. And the child tax credit does, too, but it's just a little bit it's a little bit more targeted. Um, And more importantly, there's actually been this years long effort to make it fully refundable and expand it. There's um, Senators uh, Michael Bennett and Sherrod Brown have made this a, a kind of a marquee uh, crusade for themselves. And so they, they would do this for one year, then later on they could potentially make it permanent. So that's an example of a short-term and long-term goal that's in this larger bill.
1: So Biden wanted to pass this bill with bipartisan support, but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen. And we know that because of what happened this week, which is this group of Republican senators wrote a letter to Joe Biden, so quaint, so before times, and basically said, hey, will you meet with us? We think you should really be shrinking your target down.
2: Yes. So this week, a group of 10 Republicans sent Biden a letter asking to meet and they put forward this proposal of their own. It was about $600 billion. That's quite a haircut. Quite a haircut. And they had a roughly two-hour meeting with Biden um, on on Monday, where they they discussed it. They had a, a frank and cordial conversation, as they later put it. Um, and it was hard to, to tell how seriously to take this offer. Because on the one hand, the fact that 10 Republicans said that they would work with the Biden administration on any kind of a bill was significant, because it would require 10 Republican votes in order to break a Senate filibuster. You know, any promise of bipartisan cooperation Was completely irrelevant. Could not be taken seriously unless ten Republicans were on board. So it kind of met that basic threshold for even being a serious offer.
1: Well, and it shows that this group of ten wants to make themselves into a little bit of a force. Something,
2: yeah, they want to. They they at least want to present themselves as the potential audience for bipartisan compromise in the Republican Party. The problem is that six hundred billion dollars is like really small.
1: Yeah, you said it's basically like it was built to be rejected. It it
2: feels a little – it felt a little bit like that. Um, You know, it was hard to tell if it was built to be rejected or if it was built to be negotiated up. But after the meeting on Monday, it wasn't really clear that Republicans were in the mood to move their own number higher.
1: Well, our old colleague Jamel Bowie made this really good point on Twitter where he said – You know, a lot of people keep talking about, are the Democrats serious about unity? You know, what is Joe Biden doing to get the Republicans to meet him halfway? And this offer raises the question of whether the Republicans are serious about bipartisanship.
2: Right. And I've, you know, I think a lot of us have made that comment, which is just, you know, it takes two to tango. Right. Like, again, you you have to if Republicans want to make a bipartisan compromise, they, they need to show that they are negotiating in good faith and that they're not just, you know, popping up to, to make an offer that Biden inevitably rejects so they can claim, oh, he's not serious about unity. You know, it's you, you do have to negotiate in good faith. And it, it wasn't entirely clear that they were. Though, again, the conversation was cordial, which is good.
1: I do want to talk about one of the criticisms, though, that I hear more conservative economists and commentators making about the stimulus bill, which is they're talking about if a stimulus is too big. It can overheat the economy, and frankly, I don't know what that means and what the real risks are. So I'm hoping you can explain it to me. I mean,
2: how's oh no? The economy is going to get too hot. It's too smoldering. (laughs) It's
1: too fast, too too furious. Too fast, too furious. I
2: think it's like it's it's definitely (laughs) an argument that a lot of Republican and conservative and and moderate wonks are open to, but I don't think this is going to have any purchase whatsoever with with uh, Americans.
1: But what does it even mean? Yeah. So, let's
2: let's let's get to that. So the really really uh like just oversimplified, slightly rejected version is that you've spent so much money into you've poured so much money into the economy that you're going to get some inflation. That's like really what it means.
1: And inflation is like a conservative bugaboo.
2: Yeah, and like you know, and but if they said that like, "Oh, we might have inflation," like a lot of people would be like, "Great." <laughs> like we 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 need inflation we haven't had a decent inflation for 10 years or more but um we've been like the federal reserve has been desperately trying to to get to create inflation um when when someone says if you pass this huge stimulus and you pour too much money into the economy it might overheat when they they say that they treat that like it's a threat to me that's 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 a that's a perk That's 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 actually a good thing. I think we should be trying to overheat the economy because the only way to kind of figure out what like our maximum employment rate is, or like when we might like spark inflation, is to actually try, right? Like going a little bit like you kind of you know they like you know when you're weightlifting or you're like yeah when you're like I ever weightlift. Let's be real. When other people weightlift, (laughs) they say you kind of have to you kind of have to like push past your limits to figure out what they are. You kind of have to like kind of max. You kind of have to purposely max yourself out and go beyond what you can really do to to figure out what your your, your total bench press is. At least that's how I, I think it works. I I think the economy needs something sort of similar. We should be trying to overheat. I don't take the overheating thing ser- too seriously. Maybe I'll eat my words when we're dealing with like out-of-control inflation in two years and everyone will be like, Jordan, you were an idiot. And I'll be like, oh, I was an idiot. But at least we tried. At least we tried. I think it's worth trying. I mean, to be very serious... We've made the opposite mistake for so long now. For decades, it's become clear that the U.S. economy has been undershooting its potential, right? That we've actually, we've been so conservative about macroeconomic policy, whether it's monetary policy or fiscal stimulus, that we have not been hitting our potential. So why not take a risk and go in the other direction? Worst comes to worst, Jerome Powell and the rest of the Federal Reserve will just raise interest rates a bit and it'll be okay. I'm pretty confident.
1: When we come back, all the hoops Congress is going to have to jump
0: through to get this bill passed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at progressive.com to try the name your price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. White
1: House Press Secretary Jen Psaki used her podium this week to double down on President Biden's commitment to a big relief package, emphasizing the same language again and again. The risk is not that it is uh, too big. This package, the risk is that it is too small. Uh, And that remains his view. It did seem like Joe Biden was rejecting any kind of compromise or half steps with Republicans. His press secretary went out and was pretty straightforward. She said, you know, he's happy to hear from these guys, but he feels strongly about the need to make sure the size of the stimulus package meets this moment. It was it was a little bit of a very polite slap down.
2: Oh, and she said the uh, key word.
1: Through reconciliation, if that's the path that is...
2: Reconciliation. Perfect.
1: Right. Yeah. That's where we're going now. Can we talk about reconciliation and what that means? Because it seems like it's going to make this process a lot more complicated.
2: Yeah, Democrats are getting ready to get wrecked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, sorry, that's so
2: so lame. Should I try to make this a thing? Time to get wrecked. Um, reconciliation. <laughs> There's just no way to make it exciting. Um, oh, <laughs> no. So reconciliation is the Senate's not-so-secret workaround to avoid the filibuster with a bare majority vote, right? You just need 51 or 50, 50 senators and the vice president in this case.
1: Which is exactly what the Democrats have.
2: Exactly. No more, no less. And so the, um, the key thing about a reconciliation bill... Well, there are lots of important things you need to know about a reconciliation bill. We can talk a long time about it. But the the most important thing you need to know about is that it can't be filibustered. It's just written into the rules. The problem is that there are all sorts of rules and catches about what can and can't be included in a reconciliation bill. Um, It gets very complicated.
1: Right. So we have all those trimmings on this bill. We have that $15 minimum wage, the child tax credit. Can you jam that through with a budget reconciliation? Child tax credit, definitely.
2: $15 minimum wage? Yeah, maybe. There's, <laughs> I, I think the conventional wisdom for a long time was that you could not. I think you probably still can't. Um, but there, there people are, are trying to figure out a way to kind of maneuver it in. Um, so again, the the main rule with reconciliation bills is that everything included in it has to affect taxes or spending, revenues or outlays. It has to have a significant impact on them.
1: But it means you can't pass like a Voting Rights you, Act. You
2: can't pass a Voting Rights Act. There's a lot of, you probably can't pass gun control unless you try to do it like there was some kind of tax. But there are a lot of things that if they're purely regulatory, you can't. Do So they've been trying to figure out ways around this. One of them is right now Democrats are trying to get the Congressional Budget Office to essentially give them a score on a $15 minimum wage that says it would reduce spending um, and increase tax revenue because people will be paid more. And so they'd pay more on taxes and also they would need fewer government benefits.
1: So we're going to make money from this.
2: Yeah, they would, they would need fewer government benefits like food stamps or Medicaid. And a pr- professor at the University of California, Berkeley, Michael Reich, put out this analysis that said the $15 minimum wage would decrease the federal deficit by $650 billion over 10 years, for instance. I don't know if that's really correct, quote, unquote. I mean, like, I haven't actually looked closely at the analysis, but that's that was his conclusion.
1: Well, doing this through reconciliation to my mind, does a couple of things, which is, first of all, it puts a lot more attention and pressure on a few moderate Democratic senators like Joe Manchin in West Virginia or Kyrsten Sinema in Arizona. Do we know what those folks are going to be doing to maneuver to get something they want out of this? I don't
2: think we have a clear sense of exactly what they want yet. Again, Joe Manchin has talked about wanting the checks to be a little bit more targeted. Um, so there there might be some movement there. Um, but- I don't I don't think it's crystal clear how they would like to play with the bill at at this juncture. But I think, you know, I, I would, I guess, push back on the idea that reconciliation puts more pressure on them. I mean. There was always pressure on them. There's always going to be pressure on them no matter what, because as long as Republicans aren't going along with with a bill, they're going to be the last votes, right? They're going to be the decisive votes. It, I mean, insofar as you can say any senator is the de- decisive vote when there are 50, because Bernie Sanders is just as much the decisive vote as Joe Manchin is technically, hmm. right? But if if you're getting down to kind of real politic brass tacks, like Bernie Sanders is probably going to go along with the bill. Joe Manchin's the one who's going to waffle just because of his politics and his position in West Virginia.
1: Well, there's this other thing, though, which is that reconciliation has these precise rules that govern what happens when you use it. There's this pay-as-you-go act of 2010 that means that if you raise the national (laughs) debt, it triggers automatic cuts to the social safety net. So, So can you explain this?
2: So reconciliation has very specific rules about deficit spending, right?
1: And $1.9 trillion is a lot of deficit spending.
2: Yeah, it's a decent amount of deficit spending. It's, it's not chump change. Again, like I've, we're, we're all acknowledging. It's money. It's real money. It's, it's moolah. It's scrilla. Like, whatever you want to call it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it's, so, again, when you do a reconciliation bill, you have, to, you have to first pass a budget resolution, right? And so budget resolution typically lasts for 10 years now. And under the rules of reconciliation, you are allowed to increase the deficit during that budget window but not after it. And so the result is that essentially if you want to make a permanent program, you have to pay for it. If you just want to do temporary stimulus spending or relief spending, you you can deficit finance that. So what does that mean for this bill? They are planning to deficit finance this bill because it's all temporary spending and they can do that. The catch, and of course there's always a catch because Congress subjects itself to these absurd like just you know, makes jump through know, these absurd hoops, these absurd limitations. There's this thing out there known as statutory pago. This this legislation, this totally unlovely, just awful piece of legislation <laughs> that Barack Obama and company passed in 2010 when they wanted to show they were serious about the deficit. I think it really is the dumbest legacy of the of the 2010s. Like it's what it basically says is that if Congress passes legislation that raises the deficit, that money goes on a scorecard, right? There's a five year scorecard and a 10 year scorecard. And if at the end of the year, there's deficit spending on the scorecard, the federal government is required to make budget cuts across all sorts of mandatory spending programs, popular mandatory spending programs, in order to make up for them. Um, And so if there's like $380 billion of deficit spending on the scorecard for this year, then you got to find $380 billion in cuts. So the idea is that these cuts would be super unpopular, so no one would ever let them happen, right? One of the major cuts would be to Medicare. And to be clear, also, there are all sorts of important programs that are exempt from the acts, right, They're spared the acts. Medicaid is exempt. Uh, food stamps are exempt. Pell grants are exempt. There's a long list of sort of basic welfare state programs that serve the poor that are, are not subject to any of this. But like farm subsidy program would just, be explo- would just be blown up. There would be no more farm subsidies for the year. Like they would just mm-hmm. be wiped out. Um, we would not have a border patrol. Like j- if, this, if these cuts actually happened, they're like Customs and Border Patrol- Gone. No one's being paid. Sorry, buddy. Like, there's. I don't know what happens at airports. It's just like all sorts of stuff that would kind of wreak havoc with the basic functioning of of government. The Community Development Block Grant program, I think, would get the axe. Um, it y- sounds
1: y- like a real mess. But when I looked into it, the thing that made me most angry was that Republicans passed tax cuts using reconciliation back when trump was president and democrats just kind of quietly prevented these kind of cuts in the background
2: <laughs> well so and so that is and that's i that doesn't make me so angry I actually that makes me hopeful um because the thing to realize about about statutory pago and the sequester crates is it's never actually been triggered right the sequester has never happened
1: because lawmakers are so scared of what would happen to them if they go over this cliff.
2: Because the cuts are so dumb and ridiculous that, yeah, nobody wants that to happen. And so the way they've always dealt with it is just they wave them away. So with the Republican tax cuts, with there was a lot of talk, oh, will they trigger these? The, the, will, will the axe fall as a result because they deficit financed all these tax cuts? And in the end, Democrats are like, no, we're not going to freaking cut Medicare and, food and, the, and, and the farm program and part of Obamacare because of this. And so they just waived the sequester.
1: But that's the Democrats. I mean, so I I look at this and I think, okay, we could be heading into a situation where Joe Biden and Congress they use reconciliation, they they pass a real big stimulus, and then they have a year to figure out how to avoid this sequester, as you put it, how to avoid these major cuts, and it just sets them up to have a push and pull with Mitch McConnell. And you know that guy wants the Democrats to fall on their face.
2: Well, so there are two things. Um, One is that, and this is what's most likely to happen, I think, is they can just tack a waiver onto an end-of-the-year spending, like, must-pass end-of-the-year spending bill, like funding the government or funding the military, and basically say to the Republicans, listen, if you want to try and shut down the government in order to cut Medicare, you are welcome to do so. But that's not a political thing. We think you're going to win. Like, they, they could very simply do that, and frankly, I don't think Republicans are going to shut down the government in order to cut Medicare and destroy the farm subsidy program. Like it would just be kind of absurd. Like, what is like, what's the political argument there?
1: We'll see. To be continued.
2: But then there's also a fallback plan, and this is where things get really silly. Which is if 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 Democrats can't get Republicans to waive this for some reason, what they can do is next year when they pass their next reconciliation bill. They can just top off all the programs that are supposed to be cut, and then that would fix things for one year. And the problem is that then all that spending would go on to the next PAYGO scorecard, and so this would have to become an annual ritual, which would just sort of add to the absurdity of the budget process in Washington, but you could do it to at least fix the problem for another year.
1: So, Jordan, Yeah. when we have you on next, do you think we're going to be talking about a big old stimulus that just somehow passed?
2: Um, I I think that like because of all the technical stuff you have to do with reconciliation and because of the impeachment trial, we, it's possible we won't see a final bill like actually pass through Congress until like early March, the beginning of March. But I don't know. We'll see. I think I think there's a chance. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe we're talking about a 1.3 to 1.5 trillion dollar bill instead of a 1.9. I don't know, but you know, I I my my gut says that right now the Barring some sort of unforeseen disaster or uh, fit by Mr. Manchin, um, that, yes, we'll be talking about a big old honk and relief bill sometime in the near future.
1: Jordan Weissman, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Jordan Weissman covers business and the economy for Slate. One more thing before we go. On tomorrow's show, we're going to focus in on one group of people who have been hit especially hard by the COVID recession. Women. Women have lost jobs. Women have been forced from the workforce to take care of their kids. If you're one of these women, we want to hear your stories. Give us a call and leave us a voicemail. Tell us how you're doing. 202-888-2588. That's 202-888-2588. All right. That's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.